It's one of those things where I want to set a new precedent for y'all the week of Thanksgiving. If we would, maybe read that story around the Thanksgiving meal. You know, it's one of those things that when you have God's word and you try to treat it the way that it's supposed to be treated, we get to things that are obviously not always the most exciting. Matter of fact, they can be quite convicting or more than that, we don't know what to do with. And so today we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about the spirit that convicts. We're going to look at the, how the, the spirit of God is actively working in his people. And it's one of those things where just as we read it, you're, you're, you, you don't even know what to do with. You don't know the context to put it in that someone would come and do something very simple out of, out of sequence and then God kills them. And so this morning, my prayer is, is that we would be able to be encouraged by God's word. We'd be able to see exactly what this means for us today. And we would be able to be transparent with the spirit that already is at work in our lives and is able to not only convict us, but we can glean from that something new. When I was in high school, I had an a, a offensive line coach that he was over our guards and tackles. And I never will forget one time he told us that he can go into any practice within five minutes and watch the most basic drills of the offensive line. And he would could tell you, based on what he saw from that, whether or not that team was going to be successful that year. And I always thought that was ridiculous. And then I realized that everything is about the details, about doing things right or wrong. And so he would explain that if you would just actually step with the wrong foot coming off the ball, you would be beat, depending on where the ball, where the, where the actual play was going. And then he even went so far to say that he could tell you the type of discipline the team had as a whole based on the basic drills that you did at the beginning of, of practice. And so I tell you that story this morning just to think just to how ridiculous that is. But the reality is there's so much truth in that. We have so much to glean from. We have so many things when it comes to the small details. This morning we talk about what the Spirit is doing and what it's doing in the, in the church of Jerusalem. At this point, they had been completely one unit. They had been in complete succinct. And you'd seen God do amazing things, not only through them, but through the Spirit. And they were on a roll. And so let's jump into this. I'm going to read so we can kind of glean from this and try to understand a little bit more about what is going on in the spirit here, what it's doing, what he is doing through this new church in Jerusalem. So I'm going to read for you. It says, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of, of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? It's one of those interesting things as we get started this morning and we look at this. And you've got to ask the question, something that was so organic that happened in chapter four, the fact that at the end of chapter four, they were meeting the needs of each other and they were taking in money and they were, they were caring for all the people that needed and had anything that they, any requests that they had. 
They were able to provide. But then, at the end, Barnabas did something that was just outgiving God. He was, he was doing something that was so amazing. He, he brought forth just, just the generosity of being able to lay at the feet of the disciples a piece of land that he sold and said, here, this is to be able to extend the ministry. This is to extend the vision of what God is doing. And it's almost as if the next thing that happened was there had to be somebody that one up that. And so Ananias then steps in and says, I actually have a piece of property too I'm going to go sell. And so what does he do? He starts this whole process himself. And so this morning as we look at this, you're going to see that there is not really a whole lot that's demanded of the disciples here. They were in one body and one spirit. They're working together. But it wasn't required that they gave up their land. It wasn't required that they gave up all their money. It was what the spirit was doing in them individually. And yet that's what got sideways. That's the thing that Ananias and Sapphira held on to. And it wasn't the fact that they sold, or that they, they sold the land and brought it. It was the fact that they lied about what they did. We're going to talk about that this morning because I always read this wrong. I didn't ever understand exactly what the context was of this. And so this morning as we read, let us see exactly what the Spirit is doing here. Because sometimes we have the right intentions, but we don't actually follow through with the little small details. We don't get the things right. Jump back into verse 3. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrite? Contrite indeed in your heart, and you have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias heard these words, and he fell down and breathed his last. And with a great fear came upon all that heard it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him off for burial. So this happened at the church. I don't really understand what exactly that context would look like. My wife is always one step ahead. It's been a rough week for allergies. Thank you. Gotta love a good wife. And so what you see this morning is this whole story unfold and then it's almost like there's a little bit of a pause. So we had this guy die in church and then verse seven, it gets much worse. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land and for how much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold the feet of those who have burned your husbands and now are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at the feet and breathed her last breath. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all of those that heard these things. You don't think. So at this point, you have two people now that have died over something that is so benign as simply just not giving all the details or not being transparent on all of the things. And so what do we do with this? How do we navigate through this, what just happened? 
something that seemed like it was in good intention, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense if you read it from a, a Western viewpoint. Matter of fact, we would even go so far to say, ah, it was, it was the heart that mattered, that was great. But see, there's several things going on here. I'm gonna give you that. There's three things I wanna give you all this morning that when I just read this, what immediately comes to mind? The first on, you see the Spirit's unifying power, right? The church had been on a roll. Chapter before, you had, you had a group of unqualified people with limited resources and they saw unbelievable growth. They saw God do amazing things. And the start of the church was nothing short of a miracle. 3,000 were saved, 2,000 were saved. You had all these huge opportunities happen because of the Holy Spirit coming and being with them. They were living in one unity and they saw needs and they were able to meet those needs and they were in one accord. They were insuccinct. And just like that football team that has discipline and practice, they were working together and they were seeing God do all of these things. And yet then, it's almost like it was too good to be true and sin had to eventually enter in. Somebody had to mess it up. So in chapter five, the spirit comes and convicts and shows exactly where this person was, Ananias. So we saw the unifying presence of God. The next thing is the spirit's unstoppable plan. What do I mean by that? There was all these things that had to happen. There was all these things that the, the name of the church had to get outside of those walls. And this is what is crazy, is that it's almost as if, regardless of what happens, God's spirit was going to work in any way that he had to to get the name of Jesus and the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he worked in with those people, but yet there was an obstacle. For the first time, there was... There was someone that didn't really have the purest of heart. And what you saw throughout the whole Old Testament was people that had a heart problem and that they tried to pursue God, but it wasn't with their whole heart. And it's almost as if the Spirit is saying that we're not going to start things off on this foot. We're going to start things right. If this thing is going to mean anything, if it's not going to be the laughing stock, then something was going to have to change. There was going to have to be something put down put in place to show not only the power of the Spirit, but also the might and the calling to follow after it. I'm reminded of the church in China. I don't know if y'all studied this, but if y'all even looked at this, but there's no place in the world that you see the church of God growing at an unbelievable rate. And just like this first century church, it was electric. And it was almost as if the, the, they had never heard anything like this. And all of these people came and responded. In China right now, you see over the last 15 years the same thing happening. There was an unbelievable amount of outpouring of God's spirit and people coming to Christ. Many people ask why. Well, it's mainly because the government there has, they have made it to where that's very difficult to worship the one true God. And what you see because of that, it's almost the people are unified and the spirit is unstoppable. So just in the last two years, Pew Research says this. They say that actually, no, it's slowed down the last few years. Why is that? Because the government of China has now come back and said their new strategy is not to put so much provisions on the Christian church. 
And there's this direct correlation between if there is persecution, the thing grows. If they don't really restrict it, people have apathetic hearts and it's not, it's not growing at the same rate. This morning, I want you to see one thing, that the Spirit's unstoppable plan was in place and to get the name of Jesus out was the primary goal. It's one of those things that whenever I've done ministry for many years, that I look at my own life, I've seen God's spirit in tangible and intangible ways know that he has to advance the gospel. And sometimes, if I mess it up, I'll get up and I'll be like, hey, I tried to present the gospel, I tried to share that, and if I didn't do it well, it's almost like the spirit went ahead and he knew exactly what the next step was. And he knew that there was a follow-up conversation or a different person was going to come in. The Spirit's unstoppable plan. You see it in place here. The third thing is the Spirit's ability to call out sin. There's no other way to say this. What sin are we talking about? It's really the sin of hypocrisy. And when you talk about hypocrisy, if you look at the definition of it, which we're going to do in just a second, you're going to see that we're all guilty of this. But it really comes out in three ways. Right? You, have, you have hypocrisy, you have the lying, and you also just have this comparing spirit. In other words, the one-up. And you see this a lot in Christian circles. I went to a Christian university, and you have to act spiritual. You have to like one-up. You have to act like you, are, you have it all together all the time. And that is one of the things that in the church context we also see that if we set a bar that this is the standard, we feel like we have to live up to that because we won't be judged by each other. And just as you would say, well, I gave a piece of land, and somebody else that is able to do that says, well, I gave a piece of land. And next thing you know, you have this unhealthy sense of outdoing each other. You see this, this hypocrisy of us acting like we are more spiritual than we really are. This is the reality, is that the head knowledge and the heart knowledge didn't match. In other words, they had the knowledge that they wanted to do something great, but they didn't actually intend to take it all the way. They didn't feel like they, they, would, they could actually give all of it. And the reality is they didn't have to give all of it. If, they, if, if an Ananias and Sapphira would have just come forth and just said, hey, this is what I've got. I've been able to sell this piece of land, and I'm going to give half of it to the church. It had been fine. There was no obligation here. But instead in the sense of wanting the spirit of outdoing it, it led to hypocrisy. It led to this comparing each other. I know that that still is alive and well. I remember that I had roommates that in college that if they slept in and didn't go to, go to church on a Sunday morning, they still put their Sunday clothes on to go to lunch because they would see everybody there. And there was this, there was this sense of uh, being able to keep up with the Joneses spiritually. I want this to be a place that we can just breathe. The journey can be a place that we can just be ourselves, that we are all in process, that the gospel is not completed in our own lives and that God is not done with us yet. And so if we would just be honest with each other in this room and say, I don't have it all figured out, God is going to bring so much more space into this place, this hypocrisy that while it might seem like it has the best intentions, it can lead people astray. 
I want us to be able to just breathe. Let the power of the Spirit transform. The power of the Spirit be the thing that does all of the changing, not us trying to act like we are. For so long, the church has done this one thing. They've tried to do, they've tried to make, they had this whole principle, especially in student ministry, for many years, that if you just got enough students to come, then eventually they would start acting like they were spiritual, and eventually they would come to Christ. It's so backwards. Let the Spirit of God convict, bring people to themselves. So much healthier of a concept. So much healthier of a church to be a part of. What is the very definition of hypocrisy? It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Based on this definition right here, we all are part of that. We all would say, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Matt Chandler says it like this. He says that there's two types of hypocrites. There's a good hypocrite and a bad hypocrite. Because the reality is we all would fall into that category at some point, at some point in our lives, the good hypocrites would do this, that they would immediately identify in a season of their lives and they would come back and let the spirit come back and transform them. The bad hypocrites would be those that do this, that they hold on to it and they still act like they have it together and they keep a guard up and that they even change their story to cover up the other story. And it's this whole cycle that we have of once again acting like we have it all together. We're in a place where we have to act and be vulnerable with each other. That's what I love about groups. I love that we can just say, this is what's going on. This is what I've been involved in. And that we can actually come around and have real conversations, meaningful times that we can say, God has not done with me yet. The gospel has not been completed in my own life. Please pray for me. And they come at that level the Spirit can work. When we have our guards up, he cannot. There's actually an Old Testament story that kind of mirrors this. Y'all, many of y'all probably know this. Joshua um, was, was going into the promised land, and he, was, he actually was taking over different cities, and he came to one, a guy named Achan. If y'all remember this story, he, what he does is that he realizes after they left that battle that they had lost so miserably, they did this systematic way of trying to pray through who was, the, what happened, why they were, they were already pr- told that they were going to be able to, to succeed, and they didn't. So they knew that there was sin somewhere in the camp. So they systematically went through and got to Achan and his family and realized it was Achan. And what does he do? He comes and says, hey, yeah, I stole a bunch of stuff from the last town that we took over, and I buried it in my tent. It's one of those things where God has a huge vision, but it's people that get in the way. It's people's hearts that are not put in the right place to be able to receive and let the Spirit convict. So does God still kill people? That was the question I, like, when you type Ananias Sophias into Google. The next thing is, up: does God still kill people? And I really, it's one of those things where I think positionally as we read this today, what do we do with this as believers? We have to see that the Spirit is an active agent in our lives. And what we saw there is that it is alive and well. It wasn't some piece that was, that was supposed to be, you know, it, it, it ceremonially 
respected, but it was supposed to be something that was with them. It was present. It was active. And apart from not knowing what it's going to do next, this can be a terrifying text. And so I believe that that spirit, that same conviction in that day, today does the same. It can change lives. It can direct. It calls out Christians for those that are in Christ and for those that have been following Christ their whole lives. So three things that the Spirit does when he comes to convict. First off, he convicts non-believers. We see this like in John 16. He says, when, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, to the person that doesn't know who God is, he is almost like an agent that comes and brings forth the good news to them. Now, it's not that active, animated presence that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But what it is, is almost this drawing someone to himself. It's the thing that changes the person's life to see that they need Christ. It's the thing that softens a non-believer's heart. And it is the spirit that does convict. So the non-believers don't really have the same relationship with the Holy Spirit, obviously. You have to come to to the grips of the fact that for those that are apart from Christ, the Holy Spirit is active in their lives, trying to draw and bringing them to repentance in himself. The next thing is that he corrects believers, obviously here. He does an amazing work on the cross. But that was just the start. In other words, that was just so that we were in the right standing of God, like we talked about a few weeks ago. And and now because we're in the right standing for those that are in Christ, the Spirit is active, and he wants to go to work in our lives. He wants to be the thing that makes a big difference. And there's many analogies of this that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. He says that we should, it says in verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But when you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we get this clear definition here that as believers, our goal is to keep in step with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit. Two weeks ago, we talked about being filled with the Spirit. But what is the difference between that and being convicted by the Spirit? I believe that it's all one and the same. In other words, as we are being filled with the Spirit, as we are learning to walk with God, he opens up this avenue for his conviction and correction in our own lives. It's almost like he gives this analogy where we are We all have a a huge work in our lives that he needs to do. He gives the analogy of a garden where God comes in and wants to come in and actually till the land. He wants to come in and make things right. He wants to come in and prune. In John 15, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me, so the Christian, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither 
can you bear fruit unless you remain in me? Why is it that the Christian life has been so difficult in my own life? That at times I'm a complete mess. There's at times I don't have it all figured out. Probably the fact that I haven't allowed God to come into my garden and to do the work that he needs to do. I'm not, I'm not able to give him access to my life and say, God, I want you to come in and do an amazing work for the gospel. I want you to be able to come in so that I can bear fruit. For it's his fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. Verse 5, he keeps on going. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Once again, you get this harsh imagery here that apart from our God doing the work in us, it's all in vain. This morning, I'm going to ask you the question. Have you allowed God to tend the garden in your own life? Has he been able to go to work on you? Has he been able to to step foot into every aspect and caveat to your life? Have you opened up every door, every closet, and say, you can reign here. My desires, my wants, my needs, all of that you can have. And you lay that down before God. And what you're going to see then is you being transformed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three questions this morning as we just continue to worship. And I just want this to be a call for us to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we have to be afraid of or say, oh no, there goes all the fun. For the reality is that there is new life and all the new things that are going to take place if we would just come and submit to his authority. So the first question is this. Are you open to the Spirit's correction and guidance? It's one of those realities that if we are not we don't know how to answer this, there's a good chance that we haven't been able to connect the heart with the head knowledge. Just as Ananias and Sapphira are this example about what God does and how his name was to be proclaimed to the nations, he also didn't want to start the church off in a foot footing that was built on half-truths, hypocrisy. Are you open to the Spirit's correction and guidance? Second thing is this. Have you, has there been a time that you have ran from the Spirit's conviction? How'd that work out? Maybe that's right now. I can't answer these questions. That's why I think that as we pray here in just a minute, we would have time for the Holy Spirit to come and fill in the gaps, to show us of our weakness, to show us of the place that we need to be so that we can be a church 
that is in one accord, that is unified, and isn't going to get sidestepped on things that don't matter, trying to act more spiritual than we really are. Third thing is this. Are you allowing the Spirit to come and assume the role of the gardener in your own life? Are you allowed, allowing him to come in and say, it's yours? This is the call of Christians for 2,000 years now. The reality is, is that this is what makes or breaks not only a believer, but a church. The prayer is, is that we would be able to make this a place of healing, a place that we can come as we are, as, as we leave all of our spiritual baggage at the door and just come here and say, God, I need the Holy Spirit to rid me, to renew me, to make me clean. There is something very refreshing hearing these words when a church is willing to be used, when a church is willing to be set apart for his purposes. Let's pray. I'm going to ask us now to send into a time that we would just be really honest. That we would have just a minute of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that we would ask some hard questions. God, this morning we've had a tough passage, God, where God, we don't even know how to deal with that. But God, we see your faithfulness. God, we thank you that your spirit is active and it's living and it's wise and it knows best. I'm gonna give us just a second and just a time for us to ask these questions. Are you open to the spirit's guidance? Has there been a time that you've ran from the spirit's conviction? And maybe that's now. And are you assuming to let God to be the role, the gardener in your own life? The last question I want to ask is this. Maybe you don't fit any of those boxes and maybe it's a, you're apart from Christ and you don't know who this living God is. The fact that we could never earn our way to heaven, but yet he came to us. The fact that he hung on a cross, the fact that he he died so that we could be made new again. If that's you this morning, I just want you to know that we'd love to talk to you. We're not high pressure here, but what we are is we're intentional and we want to know. So if that's something you're struggling with or something you'd say, I don't have that. However the Spirit would convict this morning, I'm going to ask that we would know about. If there's something we can pray for you about, if there's something we can hold you accountable point you in the right direction. Our prayer is this this morning, that we would be open and honest with the Holy Spirit as it convicts, as it changes the atmosphere. God, I pray that you would change the atmosphere in this room, in the culture that we have. We'd quit playing games of comparison 
acting like we all have it together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and do only things that you can do. God, we love you now as as we, we think and sit and sing. May our thoughts be on your spirit active and alive in our own lives. In your name I pray.